Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal! listening to Metal Up Your Podcast with your host, Clint Wells. All things Metallica. Podcast episode 358. We're here to continue our Halloween discussion with my friends Van Barnett, Angelo Gonzalez, and Zach Burkhalter. This is part two where we are doing the remainders of our list, our three, two, and one top horror movies of all time. And of course, just like last week, we have some interesting conversations along the way about messaging in horror movies, about uh, horror movies that have themes, what the themes are, uh, movies that try to explain too much to you. Why we chose these films. You, If you liked last week's flavor, this is basically just a continuation of that. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who's already written in. Don't forget to write in your top five horror movies. Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com. I will read them on next week's episode. Speaking of next week's episode, um, I'm recording this in the past because as of hearing this, I will have already seen Metallica in St. Louis on Friday and Sunday. And then, of course, James's book signing on Saturday. I hope I had a good time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw out into the universe that I did. I had a great time. I met the entire band. I was invited uh, backstage. I was invited up on the stage to play a blistering rendition of Creeping Death. I played the solo note for note. Afterwards, um, I was given a key to the city of St. Louis. And I'm now kicking it in Vail, Colorado with my new best friend, James Hetfield. So uh, it went well. I'm sure I got to see many of you wonderful Metal Your Podcast people. Already plans have, are being made and formulated. And uh, so, yeah. I'll be announcing, uh, and the, so I'm going to be doing a Metal Tales uh, with myself. Maybe with Lee Gamilla. I'll figure out who's available. Maybe with Brad Blaze. Like I know a ton of the Metal Your Podcast family is going to be there. We'll figure something out. I'm taking my some of my recording equipment, so we'll see who I can snag along the way. Um, but in the meantime, thanks again. I'll be announcing box set winners for the month of October and also the pick, Guitar Pick Contest winners. You can uh, leave me a positive review on iTunes. Real helpful. Of course, we got the Patreon. Link below. 
however you're listening to the podcast. If you've got the jangle and you think the show has value, you want to support the show, it would mean a lot to me. Really appreciate it. Keeps the lights on at Metal Your Podcast Industries. And uh, for now, I'm going to bring you back into part two of our conversation about horror movies. <laughs> Scary movies. <laughs> Number three for me, I think you mentioned Texas Chainsaw. I got to go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, my third film from the 70s, just because it scares me every time. It's so crazy that these guys, when they were in their early 20s, made these movies. It's like Metallica making Ride the Lightning when they were like 20 years old. I'm like, I don't know how these motherfuckers did this. It's like a combination of talent, will, drive, dumb luck, timing. I don't know. But Leatherface, super scary. He's not even really the main villain of the family. You know, they don't spend too much time babying the audience. You know, you're thrown into this van with these kids who are just trying to get somewhere. They're not super likable. They're just very real. Like, it's very fleshed out and Mm -hmm. real. And they just plunge you right into their life, like their dialogue, how they relate to each other. They don't announce, like, this is the funny one. This is the zany one. This is the smart one. This is the one that might survive. One of the main characters is in a wheelchair, which is very hard to shoot around. Uh, it just feels very real. And he's not sympathetic. And he's kind exactly. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's you not a victim. You can't wait for him to die. Dude, yeah. that is a great, that's a great point, Vance. And then when shit starts happening to them, it's so scary because of how real they let it breathe before things happen. And like, you know, I think a significant runtime happens before you see anything violent, you know, like. They pick up this hitchhiker and he's he, the vibe is very strange with this guy. And I think he cuts one of them with a knife and then mm. they throw him out. But then when they finally get to this house, when you finally see Leatherface and he hits him over the you know head with this thing and his body is just convulsing and then he slams that door. Right. A modern movie and all the Texas Chancellor Massacres after the 70s and 80s try to do this as garbage. That would have been the opening title when that door, they would have crammed all that in to a five minute opening sequence and that door would have slammed and would have said, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, dude. (laughs) And this movie just doesn't do that. Like there's like a really um, understated thing about it that makes it feel really like right up against your face. And and it's been a minute since I've seen it, but like when he opens the door, the first time you see Leatherface, there's not like any big spectacle of it. There's no like, 
like you know like music or like a zoom in or think he's just there no i don't think there's hardly any music in the film at all you yeah. hear he, he makes these really weird gurgly like high-pitched gurgle sounds i do think they do a um they do a zoom they show right? the they do a zoom because they and what the zoom represents they is pan up it's a pan up and it's it's what the character is seeing and so in, in that heartbeat you're that person and that's what's so scary about it and then you you're immediately sucked back out because you're watching it and then they he clubs him and drags him off and you think because they a lot of the aesthetic of the marketing of that film was about leatherface this overgrown obviously murderous you know being but then what you find out is he's a member of this family and he's likely like a mentally incapacitated overgrown child and that what what it really is is this family of people that have gone crazy you know and have yeah. gone nuts from the from like the economic fallout of that time and from the heat and from being isolated and they you know they they own like a barbecue restaurant and there's no business it's just such a fucking scary ride and you guys being from tech i mean it's like if you just drive around enough you can see you know like you can see what that is you know well, where they filmed it's about an hour from me. I've been to I've been to the gas station before, and it's it's they've turned it into like a horror museum. The van is right. still there. One of the chainsaws is there. You can look at it. It's pretty cool. Probably not as cool. See, my list might be more boring than yours, Angelo, because mine mine are kind of all classics so far. Well, Racerhead yeah. is my little dark horse. Yeah. One thing we were talking about too with with Van's last pick, uh, and it goes well into Texas Chainsaw, is you know theme versus message. You don't necessarily need to. I mean, the theme of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is the meatpacking industry, right? They used to be workers at the meatpacking plant. The meatpacking plant and it closed. closed down, right? And, and, and the movie's right. about vegetarianism essentially. But you don't need to know that to enjoy the movie. And like that's not something that maybe even hits you until like a few watches later, if it ever hits you. Yeah, there's something in that to me that's like that wants to say boo, like boo. Mm. Ugh, no, dude. Who cares? Ugh. It's a really a comment on meat. What? No! <laughs> no! Well, 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 you see, they're each killed in a way that <laughs> animals are commonly killed in a meatpacking plant. Well, when they one of the scariest scenes that I, even when I was a kid, I was like, it's almost like when the thing happens with Angela and Sleepaway Camp, we're like, wait, what's happening? Is when they bring the grandfather out and they're like, oh yeah, he he oh, was yeah. the he was the best. He could he could kill him, you know, uh, sixty in a minute. And they put this like hammer in his head because they would they would hit the cows in the head, you know, right. to, or they would drive a the stake or whatever. Now they have those like nail guns and shit, but they were ba- yeah they all worked in a meat plant and like the story it's the story of that family being you know disenfranchised by the meat industry going away, so they're using they're actually eating people and shit. But the scene where they put the hammer in his hand and it's just and he's like, I, I I never knew if he was dead or not. I thought like, oh, is he a corpse yeah. that they're just like because he looks like he's right. rotting, yeah. but he's alive he though be. because he tries to kiss her or something. Right. Oh God, it's so creepy. And probably yeah. probably one of the best, arguably the best horror endings of all time. I would say. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say I was gonna say that. Oh, when she gets on that, when she gets in the when the hitchhiker picks her up. Mm-hmm. Those final bits where she's uh, yeah. she's in the truck. Oh, when the other face I, I mean, of the sun's going to the golden he's hour. In the sun, doing the yeah, yeah, and and he's he's spinning, and she's. I mean, we're 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 talking about it now. Most people have seen it, but I mean, she's laughing. She's laughing maniacally, like a person yeah. who was who was destroyed. Oh yeah. yeah, and then the sun. You know that that perfect shot in the sun, 
and then he's spinning and then it just slams it's it's oh yeah. you know to credits start going it, i mean the end of that one it's it's peerless and this you know making my list i knew someone was gonna ha- this is one of my cheats that i didn't that i left it off because it's it's incredible 50 years old next year a lot of times it's it's the one it's just the one another really great aesthetic of the film is that sound of that camera in the beginning that mm-hmm. yeah yep. Well, it's so, so good, good. and just and that that movie too is a movie that just feels hot okay. i mean i like i said yeah, too i mean angela isn't like that far away but like i i like those roads like at the end of the movie like i i can go 10 minutes away from my house and find a road that looks like, oh, like yeah. that you know yeah. and it's <laughs> and it's just oh man and but another thing too is like talk about a movie that like you know is the antithesis of, of pieces like everyone thinks texas chainsaw massacre is super gory and it's it's not and it's a movie that trusts the audience too, because you might not, you know, it never points it out to you, but you can kind of infer that at that dinner scene, the meat on that, on those plates is her friends. Yeah. You know, and it just, it never really quite makes that clear if, if you're not really paying attention. I bought mm-hmm. a, some sort of, an, back at when there used to be a Suncoast in the mall, which Suncoast is like a DVD VHS store. And I remember I bought some anniversary version in 2000 when I worked at the mall. And the the whole DVD cover was just like, it looked like ground beef. (laughs) I had that same copy, actually. I tossed it, you know, in 2009 when DVDs weren't cool. I wish I had it. I'm like rebuying all that shit right now. What are your thoughts on the remake? The 2000s remake? Because I just actually, I recently watched it. I mean, I'm going to take a pretty hard line on it, Angela. I don't want to bum anyone out that likes those. I think they're all garbage. And and especially, let's talk about movies that hit you over the head with a message. The last Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whatever the fuck they're calling oh, these. that was bad. Yeah, that was awful. was yeah. horrible. It was not good. It was I, atrocious. I actually like the 03 one. And and there's... I, the, the one 06. with Jessica Biel, right? Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's fun. And the 06, the, the 06 one, the beginning one, where she sees him making a mask out of her boyfriend's face and she has to be quiet. Like, that's, that's a great scene. I like the 03 one okay. I watched it because it was on Pluto recently. And God bless Pluto, God by bless the way. Pluto TV. Dude, not sponsored. Official sponsor of yeah. this group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was, you know, I, I kind of had it on in the background as I was doing some some things and trying to get better. Studying I was uh, sick, Ecclesiastes. Was, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but um, there was some there was some good parts to it. And uh, I mean, but I think they got the aesthetic. It's one of the better of the remakes. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, they in the early aughts, they were remaking stuff. You know, they remade so much the, the freddy stuff and friday 13th and the halloweens and so they much. the it seemed like the whole vibe was make them like really gritty gritty that was the first one to do it really you know like like really make them like dark and it's like yeah. well yeah but the first one was dark dude i mean it it, it wasn't missing that yeah. yeah well and and you know we were talking recently about someone got me on these new saw movies so i watched <laughs> some of the one filled in some of the gaps <laughs> And look, I hated them. I, I don't I, like some of I thought those. They yeah. were, I thought they were literally atrocious. But I did have fun watching them. Like, you know, like, I think if you love the genre. You can find things. Y- you appreciate anyone that's willing to put this stuff on a screen and, like, have actors do this and somehow <laughs> procure funding to distribute it. They get a pass. You know, like, 
I love these are all my brothers and sisters that make these movies, but some are better than others. All right, yeah. number we're whittling it down. Number three. Number three. For Angelo. All right. Number three is another modern. I got a couple more modern moderns and then one more that's a little bit older. But uh number three is a yearly watch for me. And uh Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Hocus Pocus <laughs> Halloween two. Town. Uh Halloween Town <laughs> two, yeah. No. Um Let's your boogaloo. My my number three is Trick or treat. This is the one night. Don't forget your costume. All sorts of things. Roam free. The Halloween school bus massacre. Okay. First anthology film, or yeah, first anthology film on the list. First anthology. Um, I was thinking about going with Creep Show, and I was like, no, you know what? I, I like Creep Show a lot, but Trick or Treat, man, is is a. Uh, I watch it every year. I watch it almost every Halloween because it's it's mandatory Halloween watch for me. The feel, the way it's yeah. tied together. I mean, it's definitely made by people who love the genre. Who yes. grew up loving it the way we do, and it found its way in. It's like it's like a modern classic. It is, it is a modern classic. A lot of people watch it. It's not a surprise. That's hard to do. It's not a surprise that you know a lot of people like it. I mean, it has good reviews. You know, there's been a. I feel like there's been a sequel in the works for ten years that people have been talking about. There's going to be a trick or treat too. Probably ruin it all. But um, that first one, yeah, I mean, it, it's the the way it's tied together and the timeline and Sam is kind of a, a new icon of uh, a new icon of a horror. You know, like he's if you go to your local spirit Halloween, there will be There's all kinds of There's going to be a Sam costume stuff. of that pumpkin yeah. head. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Sam? Sam. What's his name? Sam. Sam. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's my that's my number three. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's a fun it's a fun Halloween night watch. Got a little bit of gore, got a little bit of humor, cool twist ending, and uh, ties together really well. So I got to say, I'm I am a sucker for an anthology series. Like I watch mm-hmm. all of them. I mean, I, all the ABCs of Death, all the VHS stuff. I recently found one a couple of years ago that John Carpenter called Body Bags that I'd never seen when I was uh-huh. a kid. That's really good. And I think all of us grew up watching Tales from the Crypt, oh, yeah. which is basically just yeah. an anthology series of morality tales that are funny. Well done, gory, thematic, but not messaging.
the crypt. I was listening to a podcast about that just mentioned Tales from the Crypt. And um, and he said something very interesting, and I thought about it, and I was like, no, he's probably right. He said, there will never be anything as any other TV anthology series as good as those first few seasons of Tales from the Crypt, ever. I mean, just the writing, the stories, the, the directors, the acting. There's there's A-list actors before they became yeah. actors in almost every episode. Same with all the directors yeah. and the writers. It's all up and coming people. And even people who were in some of the ones who were stars already. I mean, like Arnold Schwarzenegger directs an episode in maybe season two. I mean, we're talking about 1990. Yeah, it was it was like a playground for for Hollywood people. It attracted talent it, because it, because yeah. uh, the quality was so high and it was so good. And there was so much artistic freedom. And they were kind of all based on those great fifties comics. Yeah. So there was a there was a framework. They were using all the good ones, I'm sure. Like at yeah, the beginning, were, right? Exactly. Like the best ones. Yeah. Let's throw them out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So all right, excellent, Zach. Number three for you. So number three. This one's a little bit of a curveball. Uh, my number three is Psycho Two. Psycho two, yeah, Psycho two. Oh my god, I uh, <laughs> I was I was telling a friend of mine about this earlier. I'm not knocking was, it. I'm just shocked. I was telling a friend about this earlier. And I was like, Psycho two. He's like, Psycho has a sequel. Oh, I was yeah, like, it actually, several. It actually, it actually has three, but only one of them is really worth watching. But no, um, I and it's a movie that is. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening have seen Psycho, but may not know that Psycho Psycho has the sequel. Or seen it. Did Anthony Perkins um, direct the second one? Uh, he directed the third one. Okay. Uh, the second one is actually I don't remember the top of my head. Richard Franklin Bad. is an Australian director who directed Patrick. Yeah. Okay. But uh, in Road Games. But it Road Games. Road Games. Shut up, the Road. <laughs> For a sequel that came out 22 years later, it's following up a Hitchcock movie. It is way better than it has any right to be. And if you uh, if you have seen Psycho and you love it, it's definitely worth checking out. Again, don't Google anything about it. I think you'll be surprised. And I think it kind of goes back again to to like my number five, where it's like, you know, you're following Norman Bates, who's this classic movie villain, and you're on his side like you're you're really kind of rooting for him to be okay but through his eyes he's an unreliable narrator because you don't know like you know is he still mentally not, uh, you know ill is he is he slipping back into his old ways is something else going on you don't really know until like a good bit into the movie i think you put this in the same column as there's a couple of surprising sequels in this genre one is this one is texas chance on massacre 2 which is pretty good yeah and then Exorcist 3, we all kind of agree, found found a little bit of magic in there. It's like worth a watch mm-hmm. on its own merit. It's like, yeah, Psycho 2 is fascinating. It's an interesting choice. I love that you love Psycho 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. All right, Van, number three. All right. Uh, my number three is a Japanese movie called Pulse from 2001. The Japanese title is Cairo, which I've read means circuit, but it's called Pulse. I'm not anti-remake. I like the Ring remake, but um, the remake of this one, uh, stay away from that. Don't worry about that. 
you know, in the wake of, so Ring uh, was at the end of the 90s in the Ring with Naomi Watts was maybe 02. And so after that, in the home video market, a lot of Asian, primarily Japanese and some Korean imports came in. And so there were there were lots of them that were either made in the wake of the Ring or were already around, but started getting brought over to the States. So Pulse is, is 2001. And this is my, is far and away my favorite of the movies from Asia in that period. And again, risky to say, one of the scariest movies I've seen as an adult. It is a, a movie about ghosts and hauntings and about technology, um, but not in a way where it talks to you about that. It's just all the characters are primarily young people, young adults who are getting, you know, early internet and are on computers. A young man disappears. Someone is looking for him and trying to find him in his room and a lot of the ghostly appearances or strange things that people see appear on monitors or in rooms with computers odd things happen and it's one of these stories where I, there's not a lot to say about the story not because it doesn't have one but it it's about the way it's made this director kiyoshi kurosawa oh yeah the guy that did rashomon and uh Seven Samurai, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, same same last name, but um, he's he's done several great movies on his own. But Pulse has got a very strange tone. It, a lot of people are disappearing in the course of the movie, and it's very strange. The way it's represented is very strange. There are a lot of images that are haunting. There's a room sealed with red tape that you're wanting to find out what's happening. Sometimes when uh, a ghost will disappear, there's a, a stain on a wall, and just the way these things are filmed in the the pace of the movie is, is very frightening. Um, there's a there's a sequence where a character's um, having an encounter. And I mean, I was a grown man. I was in my mid-20s. And I was like, I think I might turn this off. Did you fall off the couch I again? Didn't, I didn't, but I stood up and was thinking about what I was going to do. I, I find it frightening. There's a couple of sequences later on where there's... Um, there's some special effects that are, you know, over over than 20 years old now that I suppose you could pick at. Um, I, I think that the movie has so much going on at that time that it doesn't, and it's brief that it doesn't, it doesn't stick out to me. I think in recent years this has gotten appreciation more. I rarely fork over for these. There are lots of boutique Blu-rays around now that you can get all kinds of movies or super nice editions, and I always want more then I want to have the one super nice thing. But this is one that I invested in. It's definitely one of the scariest movies of the new millennium. You know, a lot of people write me and say, hey, Joe Bob Briggs, just what is monster vision? You don't need no special glasses or an insect's head. Just a healthy love for slime and disrespect for the dead. We'll talk about some movies by the old double wide. And when you get that creepy feeling creeping up inside, well, then you got monster vision. It's a heck of a fright. We're tearing the heart out of Saturday night. These monster vision movies serve a primitive drive. Cause watching people die can make you feel so alive So throw away your clicker now, the flicks have begun Cause there's nothing you can do while fully dressed It's as fun as watching ENT beneath the bugs after light We're tearing the heart out of Saturday night Tearing the heart out of Saturday night Alright, uh, so, well speaking of effects that may or may not hold up My number two I'll just cut to the chase, boys. It's my only non-70s movie, and it's 1982's The Thing by John Carpenter, which body horror film, an alien called The Thing, 
it's all it's a remake from the 50s but this is the definitive version for me this alien comes and it impersonates much like the body snatchers it's a film about paranoia and inhabits the and replicates you know genetics and dna and all the effects are practical and a lot of films that that relied on that you you laugh at them later because of what's possible now now i laugh at cgi from 2005 you know you i watched right. the mummy with my daughter the other day and I was just laughing at how shitty it is. So shitty. <laughs> you watch the thing and it's like scary. It just still looks real. This fucking head with the spider legs come out of it. Oh, yeah. And all the guts coming out of the dog and whipping across the floor. And Kurt Russell's so great in it. We've all seen the thing, right? I mean, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's indisputably one of the greats. May not be someone's top five or 10, but I don't think anyone in the world who loves this genre would have anything really mm. bad to say about the thing. I've never heard anyone say it was like even overrated. Huge fan. My personal story of the thing real quick is that I saw in fifth grade in a movie book and a movie about a book about movie effects. This would have been at the, you know, very early nineties. I saw a couple pictures that gave away two of the incarnations of the monster. I just seen these two still images. All I knew from it before then was the cover, which is the the uh, man in the, in the snow, snow suit yeah, with and the, the rays of light coming out of the face. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it's very sci-fi, right? Yeah. I knew there was an alien. That's all I knew. And then I saw these two images in the book, and I was like, "These are the two scariest pictures I have ever seen." Like I thought about it for years, and I didn't see that movie until I was at the end of high school, and I hadn't forgotten the images. In all that time, it wasn't my book. It was a book I saw at school and it still worked on me 100%. It's one of the greats. It's a tremendous movie. One thing I'll say about it, I do like the 50s one a bit, but it is for those who haven't seen it. You know, the thing is a movie about a shape shifting creature in the 50s one. It's basically just a man walking around stiffly, vaguely like Frankenstein that the scientists tell you is more like a vegetable than a human, but it's, it's just, it's just a man with some makeup on, but it's a, it's worthwhile. One of the things I think that doesn't get commented on that I've I've seen, I haven't researched this, and I don't know if anyone agrees, is in suspense and horror, there are a lot of rhythms you get used to. Imagine a bathroom, and there are stalls and someone hiding in a bathroom. It's one, two, three, the person's in the third stall, or they're not, there's a pause, and then there's a right. you know scare after that. A lot of scares in the thing, in addition to being psychological, because you don't know who's the thing. A couple of the scenes, if you haven't seen it for a few years and you go back to it, a lot of the things happen quicker than you think. Uh, yeah. Things are about to start building up and nope, we're right into it. And there's a sequence in the original thing where the scientists are suiting up to go look for the, for the thing, for the creature. And the, the music in, in filmmaking is not queuing you up that a scare is coming. They're bundling up. They're going to go out because they're in Antarctica. And they throw open the door and there he is and he's coming in already. And it's a, it's a great scare. But there's a couple of sequences that when you go back to it, it starts happening faster than you think. You know something's coming and then nope, you're into it. It's already here and it's happening and it's out of control in three seconds and all hell is breaking loose. Which is if, if you're going to get, you know film school 101 about it is a way to just keep you paranoid because it, right. it, the beats are off so so you can't even yeah. settle into a rhythm of a film like a 90 minute you're because you're right like a 90 minute film if you read screenplays which i'm sure the three of us read screenplays because we like movies enough by page 20 mm -hmm. yeah your first conflict's happening with the the main characters there's all these beats that happen in a film and yeah part of part of it being like the the 
irregular rhythms of it add to the uneasiness of it all. The thing also, real quick, great poster, great VHS art. That's another one oh, that yeah. I remember seeing a lot, like as a kid on the shelf of like seeing that, mm-hmm. you know, the outline of the guy with the shining. It's cool. And it's called The Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, well, because the 50s one was called The Thing from Outer Space, right? So then John Carpenter's from shooting, another world. From another world, yeah. Right. It's just, you know, oh, this is just The Thing. Like, that's, you know, it's, it's such a simple name. Anyway. Guys, it's a metaphor for a penis. <laughs> Come on! It is it is a movie with only men in it. You know, no no women. Exactly, all, all men. Exactly, they're there trying go, to just erase women. You know, with their things. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is too is if you watch it, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of pieces of that movie that are never explained to you, and like, and there are a lot of like missing pieces. You're like, wait, so where was Kurt Russell? And like, how did this person die? And you know, all these things like, how did this happen? And it's never really pointed out to you. It's kind of left up to your you to figure it out which i don't think was like some great like plan i just think that's how they told stories they're like look we're not we can't yeah it's just how they told stories now what happens is later is a bunch of nerds go well wait we we make up for all that time and then john carpenter goes well only i know you know we're like oh yeah but at the end when it's just kurt russell and the other guy only one of them you can see their breath so that one one of them's the alien and then I've heard an interview with John Carpenter where he's like, oh, yeah, that was kind of just an accident in production. You know, like they were just trying to tell a story like efficiently. They were just trying to entertain and tell a story that was cool. And then we imbue all this meaning into it, which may or may not be subconsciously true. You know, right. like Jeff Tweedy has, has a great album called A Ghost is Born that he wrote while he was like completely gacked out on drugs. And it's some of his deepest seeming stuff. And he's asked about that time. And he's like, I didn't know what I was doing. Now, when I got sober and could look back on that work in that time, I realized I was writing that record like for the future sober me that would hopefully survive whatever he was dealing with. So you find meaning later, but when he was making it, he wasn't he wasn't putting a bunch of Easter eggs in it. He was just trying to make a great album. And I just think that's okay. I, I don't think that takes any power away from it to say that there's meaning later that we sort of make of it, you know? Right. So the reason that Kubert put the Kool-Aid container in the pantry is because... Yeah, exactly. Well, the can of beans no. was upside down. At a 37-degree angle. And the, and the chair, you'll never... The chair was positioned. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on, dudes. Okay, Angelo, number two for you. Number two is Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. So I had to throw Freddy on here, and I think if you asked me to rank my Nightmare on Elm Street series, I would probably say, oh yeah, ranking number one is the original. Number two is a tie between this one and New Nightmare, and then you can move on kind of, inter- not interchangeably, a lot of the sequels go on kind of towards the end. But as far as rewatchability, fun, and the one that I saw first and that images are in my mind of as a child is this one. Mm-hmm. 
my sister had this on. I was in second grade. She had it playing and I walked out of like my bedroom or something into the living room and it was on and I ran out of the house because I was so scared. I didn't want to see it. I literally, I literally looked at it and I saw, I didn't remember even what I saw, but I ran out of the house and down like three houses down the sidewalk and was just like, I can't watch that. I can't. So to me, this is a perfect sequel. It's one of the best sequels. I don't say perfect, but it's one of the best, best sequels. And it's been documented on tons of podcasts and documentaries and all, and all the things of why it works as a sequel. Um, I think in, in the Never Sleep Again documentary, it says it does what every sequel wants to do. It introduces new characters that you care about just as much as the old characters. It builds on the mythology. Um, builds a little bit more. It gives you a little bit more of the mythology. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's right. its own thing too. Yeah. So it does it does it really, really well. It's such a great, great movie. I think it's right on the cusp of Freddy becoming MTV Freddy, but he, he's not there yet. So he's still he's scary. Still scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's still very mean. He's mean throughout the rest too, but he's still very mean. And um the kills are good. The scene where he's sleepwalking. And he's doing the oh the with his tendons thing. and oh stuff are out, man. Like that is oh, uh, that that is just you know that's such a cool concept. And when he's when it's that big like the puppet projection puppet of Freddy up at the top yeah. of the building, like that's just a scene that's embedded in my mind. He does um, that again. It's m- maybe one of the another you know. Is a, I'm sure there are many reasons, but. Another reason you might love New Nightmare is that scene where he, th- where the kids running through oh, the yeah. traffic, and yeah, he's and up he's in up the there. sky. Yeah, you know it's yeah, such yeah. a creepy thing. And also for me, for me as a kid with three, I had three on VHS. I think it was the only ones I owned. And the juxtaposition of the Joe, not Joey, but uh, I can't remember the the kid's name who gets the tendons of the the puppeteer kid. Yeah, it's such a juxtaposition of like the mega hot nurse babe who comes to like seduce him Mm -hmm. and then she turns in like so for me as a young kid that just was attracted to naked women was like this is the most amazing thing in the world and then she's suddenly freddy krueger and then the most one of the most horrible to you man she's spinning tongues (laughs) and all the tongues are tying oh that's right yes yeah that shit was fucking scary dude i I think you know of all of the uh, horror villains of that era, that's the one that I think is probably scariest to most children, or especially children with big imaginations, versus if we're talking about a Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers situation, it's more understandable. It's because he had agency and he spoke. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just the the angle of of you know of being connected to dreams and nightmares, and that's you know that's that scares you as a kid. It seems frightening in a way that none of those other things are. Jason and Michael Myers just sort of relentlessly come for you, and there's something scary about that too. Like unstoppable, powerful, big, strong beings, but it's hard to discern their purpose, right? Because they don't speak. Mm-hmm. Freddie and Pinhead from Hellraiser, who's my second favorite villain, Pinhead in particular, go on these huge monologues right. about pain, you know, and yeah. heaven and right. hell. He builds a whole mythology for himself. Mm-hmm. Your your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Right. Just back it up against the wall. You heard him. Back it up. Don't make us put some pain on you. Pain. How dare you use that word? He's got pins in his head. What you think of as pain is only a shadow 
pain has a face. Allow me to show it to you. Gentlemen. I am pain. Dude, that's <laughs> fucking sick. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> and, and and there's something scary about the about Michael Myers and Jason's purposes being like muted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something really horrifying about that. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, you could see that modern art house film It Follows. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Which yeah. was a metaphor for STDs. But there's something like relentless about it. Like it's about this thing that will just never stop following you to try to kill right. you until you can sort of pass it on to some other, you know, unwilling suspect. But in that movie's defense, I, I don't find that particular metaphor annoying because it's 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 built into the function of the movie. It, it's literally what's happening. Right. Yeah. I like it follows quite a bit. I'm a fan of that one. But dude, um, I'm so- a huge fan of uh, the tradition of of uh, punishing promiscuous teenagers. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to punish them, dude. They can't just go having sex and having fun without their little dicks getting chopped off. And on, on Nightmare 3, I real quick, I had a cousin that had that poster on the wall. So it's it's Freddy's blades with the characters walking on them. And oh, it, yeah, and that it, is so good. And at, night, poster. and at night, the lights in the house were off when we visited my aunt and uncle. And in my cousin's room, it was that poster up on the wall and a fish tank with blue lights lighting the room. And that, yeah. that captured my, and I didn't, you know, take me back there as established. I didn't see these movies for years. So that All was right. just what I knew of, of nightmare and Elm street for years. Yeah, dude, the Elm street kids walking on the blades. Yeah. Oh, cool. And look, let's face it, dude, Heather Langenkamp, babe, underappreciated final girl. Yeah. Obviously yeah, she's, she's not a final girl impressed. of the third film, but fin- dude, the first yeah. nightmare, she's the final girl. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. If you were president, she'd be Babe or Hamlet. <laughs> and she, I mean, she's, yeah. And that, she were and, flavor, she'd be Babelicious. And part of <laughs> being part three as well, uh, of part three is, I mean, are we, are we spoiling? I don't, should, I mean, the movie came out. The movie came out It's almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're good on she, she dies, right? Like they kill yeah. her at the end. Yeah. Wait, and, wait, what? Um, Nancy? Yeah, that's, that's a big move yeah. to kill your leading, your leading person. And they're making way now for the new and, and you're, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a which great, let's talk about this for a second. Thing. One of the, one of the biggest bungles of that series, which is my favorite horror series is they cast, was it Roseanne Arquette or Patricia Arquette? Who, which Arquette is that? That's that Patricia. Wait, yeah. And then, yeah. and then of course she got too big and she never came back. So the, the chick they got to replace her in four, who was very great and serviceable, but not her. Yeah. And it just it just killed it, it just it killed, killed all some that. momentum and, and it did. And, yeah, it killed the momentum. A- and there was no momentum between one and two. You know, two mm-hmm. Freddy's Revenge, which much has been said about it. It's yeah. one of the most amazing submissions in a franchise ever. And I submit to you the school bus scene where he's on the school bus and he's the driver and then the ground falls out Mm -hmm. is one of the scariest scenes in the whole series. I also think the junkyard scene at the top of four is one of the scariest scenes in all of Nightmare on Elm Street. Four four has some worthwhile stuff. They tried to give it over to Patricia Arquette's character. What was her name? Kristen? Kristen. And then she never came back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then the way they dealt with that was they killed off Kristen in four and they tried to make it about Alice. Right. And so Alice was kind of the the hero, the heroine of four and five. It just it got tough. The the continuity got tough, and then Freddy's Dead is its own thing. And then New Nightmare was one of the first. I mean, is that the first meta horror film? Like, 
like oh, a yeah. self-referential. Oh, there were there were some there were some odd ones in the eighties, but they weren't they weren't referencing something that other people knew. They were you know there there were like slasher parodies and different things, but nothing like that. Nothing on that level. This slight tangent. What year did do Nightmare come out? Was it like 94? 90, yeah, 94. So it would have come out the year after Last Action Hero. Because those two always that's kinda, about, yeah, that, like, that's sort of, right. That's yeah. Right. Those those two always kind of make me think of one another. Probably so my favorite kinda, Schwarzenegger film. Oh, that's a, that's a fun Action connection. Hero. I haven't seen that one since that's I was so a kid. underrated. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a good so that's underrated. great movie. And ve- again, yeah, very meta kind of on that. I think it was a a, a little both of those people say that they're ahead of the time, right? Like ahead mm-hmm. of their time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot's been said about it. It was it was also marketed as just a straight up Schwarzenegger action film. Oh, like yeah. they didn't they were scared of it. So they just they they basically tricked everyone into going because it's a big shoot 'em up fun. And then when you get there, it's like smart and weird and like unusual and it takes a cartoon. There's a cartoon cat in it. Well, the cartoon cats at the at the blockbuster, and he's he's hitting on the he's hitting on the uh, the lady. Oh no, he's one of the cops. No, he's the co- yeah, yeah, he's like a yeah. detective or something. I, I and he's one of the. He, he says Jack Slater says he's one of the best on the force. I am I'm getting a flea bath later. Join me. You touch me again, fur ball, and I'll kill you. I can prove this is a movie. Who the hell are you, kid? Look out there, this is cartoon cats. He's supposed to be back on duty. He was only suspended for a month. Now shut up. Listen to what I'm saying. An animated cat just walked into the squad room. Hello? He'll do it again tomorrow, so what's your point? That cat is one of the best men I got. Yeah. Now who is this twerk, and where is that smile on his face? <laughs> He's one of and the best we Danny got. DeVito. And it's Danny DeVito. Is it? Oh, is he playing yeah. doing the voice? Oh, gosh, I don't yeah. remember. It's Danny DeVito. This is getting better and better. Um, <laughs> all right, Zach, That's you're funny. up for number two. Uh, number two is the uh, OG uh, 1974 Black Christmas. Oh, yes. hell yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Re- you know, the, is... the remake's okay. The remake's okay, but it's kind of too similar, and you're not going to recreate the power of the, the 70s. The 70s when dude that is that the whole like the calls coming from in the house is that yeah. that's like the og yeah. these chicks are getting calls from these weirdo a weirdo that's taunting mm. them and then you find out this guy's in the house the whole time that's like the first time you see oh, that yeah. and that is a great premise oh yeah, it is such a great premise too and i and i think like and this is kind of going into my thoughts a little bit about modern horror a little bit because there was a rem- another remake in 2019, yeah. and it was sort and it was sort of billed as it's not worth checking out. But uh, if anyone's listening, but uh, if anyone listening wants to check it out, it's not. Worth I hope people out. are listening, but, Zach. <laughs> sorry, Hopefully, yeah. it's not gotten so bad that no one's listening <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but it's wait it's, till uh, I start talking about Cube Zero, dude. <laughs> but no, it's it's and it's billed as this time it's a feminist movie, and it's like. No, it was a it was a feminist movie in 1974. Exactly, and it, was, it was and it was done better uh, because you like you didn't have to be told that these are strong women. Like you just you got that from getting to know them. And one of the, and I don't want to spoil it. We won't like kind of we can kind of steer clear of it. But Olivia Hussey's character in that movie is dealing with something that's very sensitive, yes. uh, and it's handled in a way that you would not expect a movie from 1974 to handle it. 
it's she's never framed as a bad person for it it's just it's like maybe this is a decision she needs to make maybe not but it's it's i mean it is a really great movie that i think anytime someone would be like all slashers are misogynistic like check this one out yeah and also to the atmosphere of it, the Christmas time is yeah, awesome. Yeah, it has its own merit. It's, it's it's good on its own merit. Everyone needs to check it out. Stone Cold Classic. And I think the point Van was making earlier, it's like some of those movies are misogynistic. Like, they are. Like, oh, yeah, so, for sure. Some, some fucking Motley Crue songs are misogynistic. Like, people did that. People have had bad ideas about the world. But some of them didn't, too, though. You know, like, it's just hard to relegate a whole genre to something. It just, it just seems yeah. too easy. And... All sto- stories from all time feature you know, heroines, you know, and I, I just I'm not so cynical about audiences that it needs to all just be like explained to death, you know, yeah. like uh, Sigourney Weaver and Alien and Aliens. It's like she's she's the one that saves the planet, you know, Yes, and it doesn't it's just not laid out in such a pandering way. It's like. And a lot of what's happening now, I feel like, is like intellectual property issues. They're like, well, we own Ghostbusters. How can we make money off Ghost? Like, what they really need to do is just talk to Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. Like, how do we repackage the same shit and keep selling it to people? Because I'm going to keep <laughs> buying it. But instead, they're like, oh, we'll just make them all girls, and then we'll make the we'll make the 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 receptionist of the a hot dumb guy. We'll play with all the tropes, and it'll just be a comment on on misogyny. It's like, oh my god, dude. That sucks. It's funny you actually mentioned Gene Simmons because I think it was, I was lo- reading something um, about when Revenge came out, and I promise this has a point, it, like like the song Unholy, which I love Unholy, it's a great kiss song, but it's it was him kind of tapping back into his demon persona, but uh, there comes a time when something is so far removed, you're so far removed from those demon days, you remember something for how you remember it and not how it actually was. And I think, and I think that's a great example is like, he was never really like, like demon and like, you know, like in that aspect, like most time he was just singing about sex and like, it kind of is a similar thing with horror is like, you can kind of think of it as misogynistic and even at times it is and a great example of that. I think honestly is the bond movies is like, you know, people think like most people think they're deeply misogynistic and you had to have a point, but I think what they're known for really is only like five of the movies otherwise like look a lot of those 60s movies there's some dicey stuff in there but there's also a lot of like really powerful female characters in there too yeah but that yeah and but but the nuance of that doesn't serve a narrative that's easy to shout from social media you know what i mean it's like it's a little more complicated like i would never want to say that we need to quit asking questions about our themes in these films like problematic or troublesome or are there ways to evolve and get better and tell different kinds of stories tell them in a better way I would never want to shut that down, but I do think there's kind of, there's a huge emphasis on it in a way that's like, dude, these are just, they're just movies and stories, dude. And yeah, Yeah. like you want to find heroines and like, you'll find heroines all through all these stories for sure. And now what, what do you do with that? It's just, it just gets complicated when you imbue too much ideology into it instead of like, these are just, these are just archetypical stories and make of them what you will, you know, have fun with them, like wrestle with them, talk about them. Watch them. Be offended by them. Be inspired by them. Right. Anyway, I'm I'm doing a TED talk. All right, number two for Van. So far, Van's got cat people, pieces, and pulse. <laughs> Easily the most obscure list so far. What do you got for us next, Van? Um, so I needed something with a lighter touch, or something with humor or in, in intentional humor. Pieces has uh, its share of humor, but something with more intentional humor 
Um, so my number two is another 80s movie called Reanimator. Um, oh, excellent. From 85. I love all the Stuart Gordon stuff. Oh, yeah. From Beyond is one of my favorites, but that's one of his yes. more serious kind of creepy. The the uh, He does a lot of Lovecraftian stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Is Reanimator a, a Love, H.P. Lovecraft? It is. It's it's technically H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. It's it's one of the like brief, short stories. It's, it's basically just a quick premise, a uh, mad scientist-esque medical student invents a serum to reanimate the dead right it's a big cartoonishly green glowing syringe that he can inject into a recently dead person bring them bring them back to life with uh uh, mixed results so um it essentially is is sort of a a quasi zombie movie in addition to being a mad scientist movie so you've got you've got reanimated corpses and um and uh, a lot of humor uh jeffrey combs uh, chewing yeah, up Jeffrey scenery. Uh, Barbara Crampton yeah. in, in uh, one of her first big roles became a, a big uh, screen queen. Icon. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, um, speaking of um, of sharp women, she just always comes across as as so like you know smart and fun to me and everything she does. Very entertaining movie. What is it about the idea? And I'm thinking about Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. but Reanimator does this too. The idea that you can bring someone back, you can find this loophole, right? Because right. death, time waits for no right. man, death comes from us all. That's like the greatest existential fear of yeah. all of us, right? Is dying and shit. Yeah, I mean, that's the origin of science fiction with Frankenstein, it, sort of. Exactly. Like, you can escape it, or you find the fountain of youth, or you can create a serum in a big green syringe and bring them back. But then when they come back, something's, it's not all right, you know? Something's, mm-hmm. th- yeah. there's something primal. I mean, not to look too deep into that, into reanimator, but. I just, I don't know. There's something about it that I think strikes human beings. This idea that we're dying, which sucks. Mm-hmm. And then this idea that maybe we could bring them back, but then they come back and they're not the same. Yeah. But you can't stop trying. That's the pet cemetery thing. I, yes. I, I, I'm, right. If that's what's, that's well, the, if your kid goes down, if your kid goes down, you will do anything to bring them back. That's what's scary uh, about pet cemetery. It's not the, it's the situation where an average person would absolutely choose the, the you know, there, there are no consequences that could stop you from doing something nightmarish, right? That's right. that's the scary thing is an average person being put in a situation where they would they would do something terrible, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's not just the death happening; it's the it's the being willing to do something terrible repeatedly and being powerless to stop yourself from trying again. You know, and so in Reanimator is the is the comedy version of that. And sometimes they come back as that too. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm kind of tracing the Stephen King thread, but sometimes they come back as also like that. That's uh, that's right. But uh, Reanimator, I'm not a, a giant horror comedy guy, but I like a few of them, and that's uh, that's one of them. If you uh, if you meet me in real life, there's a uh, a good chance I'm wearing a Reanimator shirt. It's it's one of my uniforms. I think when it comes to horror comedies, that's probably the cream of the crop. Because from beyond is way darker, same same theme, same vibes. It's Stuart Gordon doing H.P. Lovecraft, but the horror comedy thing. I think you got evil. You got the evil dead. Evil Dead Two, but Reanimator is the cream of the crop. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit 
of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. All right, we're down to number one, finally. I mean, this probably won't be that surprising. I, I chose The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget uh, my friend yeah. Aaron, who I've already mentioned on this. He, he was my horror buddy, and he was my Metallica buddy, too. I'll never forget, we were finally old enough. We were fascinated by The Exorcist. We couldn't get our hands on it. We were finally old enough, and this is the 90s, so when I say finally old enough, I think I mean like 9 or 10, where his mom, who was very religious at the time, showed it to us. Like She watched it with us. And man, I, I think I only did it because I was afraid to look like a, a wimp in front of Aaron. But I didn't want to run away from a movie as bad as that one ever. Like even the like slower stuff, because it, it it's a slow burn. Even the slower stuff of like Father Karras, you know, excavating and he's an anthropologist now and he finds this little rock and then he's standing on this thing and the Pazuzu demon things like that stuff was lost to me as a kid, but it just, it was so scary. But when she finally, when Reagan finally gets possessed and you talk about Angela, like the fear of not being able to help your kid, because one of the things about that was like her mother is like a single mother, like hardworking actress. She's busy. She's an atheist. She doesn't have time to believe in all this stuff, but then it happens to her and her family. And then she's, they're getting these sleep tests done on her and nothing's working. And then as soon as it becomes clear to her that like her only options are like exorcism, getting the church involved, she's like, I'll do whatever the fuck. And man, when those showdowns in her room and they go in there and it's like ice cold and it's talking weird, you really, you really know shit's up when he records her and then he like slow and is speaking in Latin or something and he slows it down and it's he's hearing like his mother's voice and stuff. No one there. Who are you? It's a language, all right. It's English. What do you mean, English? It's English in reverse. Listen. Give us time. Let her die. Holy shit. I just never seen anything like that. And I think, honestly, I think I had seen the possessed before that, which is the parody, the Leslie Nielsen, where he's like just spitting pea soup up. And right. So I was kind of primed. I think one of the scary movies does that too. I was primed for the imagery of it, but actually burning it down really like dislodged something in me. And I think I've probably watched it at least once a year since, since I was maybe 15. And uh, every time it's it still scares me. It's like this, it's still to this day the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's scary, man. Aside, I I watched it recently. My middle daughter wanted to watch it. How old? Uh, thirteen. Ooh, all right. And she because I, I wonder like, how old Nova right. will be before I can show it to her. I was like, all right, let's do it. Not scared one bit. Oh, really? She was like, that's it. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. I was like. <sighs> did it still scare you well i mean it, it was now let's say when we were done with it hey can you walk me to my room <laughs> it does not happen but she did want me to walk okay her to her so it, it it landed no, somewhere it a little, yeah. it landed a little somewhere. bit there but but she yeah she was just like that wasn't scary 
she told me that she she looked at me when we were done. She was like, "That wasn't scary." What? And uh, and I was just like, "Okay, I I mean, I don't know what else to do now. What do I do with this?" But I remember exactly where I was. I had uh, a big dresser. No, it was a it was like drawers. It was a set of drawers, and it had a little TV, and it was on top of the TV, and I was laying down on the floor going to sleep, and I was watching it. So I was like, kind of like up, like. I was on the floor looking up at my TV, watching this movie, being terrified of, of this movie. I mean, yeah, it's it, it was pretty still pretty scary to me when I watched it this 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 time. And but the horror of just like you mentioned, Clint, not knowing what's wrong with your kid when there's all the doctors there yeah. and none of them can tell her what's wrong. Yeah. When they're putting her through like a really arduous kind of sleep test and oh it's like hurting gosh, her, man. So the mom's yes. conflicted. The the scenes before they get the priest involved, the mom's like going into the room and they're like, the, it's clearly like something really horribly wrong with Reagan. And like, she like hits her mm-hmm. and she's saying mm-hmm. weird shit and she's like doing weird shit with the crucifix. Like, it's yeah. even before Cur- they're like, okay, there's stuff. like spiritual warfare happening. And just thinking about it as a parent, like seeing your innocent because there's these great scenes before it where the because the reagan the kid is like bubbly and oh, kind of innocent it's like this really innocent and she they have this she's got we- a great relationship with her mom. yeah they're I really mean, they, close yeah and and she gets this ouija board and i remember my mom because she probably saw the exorcist in the 70s was like we were never allowed to play with ouija boards ever because the, it was like a oh, yeah. gateway for the devil to come into our home. She, right. she totally got that from the exorcist. My mom right. never, my mom was religious and like deeply believes in all that stuff, but never read the, I read the Bible way more than my mom. But I remember my mom being like, Ouija boards are out. Cause I always wanted to get a Ouija board when I was a kid. Cause I was like, talk to spirits. Fuck yeah. Spell shit out. That's what, that's what everyone's doing in the spirit realm. They're just trying to spell some <laughs> shit brothers, out. Man. And, uh, yeah. but, but that scene where she's like, oh yeah, captain, she calls him, Ca- is it captain Spalding? Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy, yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, he talks to me. And the mom's like, what? What does he say? Oh, you know, he's friendly. And then you just see it, this slow... And and if yeah. we're talking about deeper themes, it's this the corruption of innocence. You know, yeah. how it preys on innocence. And then really what this demon was looking for is is what the movie's about, which is The Exorcist, which is... What's the... Uh, Matthew... Not Matthew Landau. What's the guy's name? The guy from Seventh Seal that plays the Father Karras. No, or not Father Karen, but no. the, the main guy. Yeah, Marin. Um, that's uh, uh, Father Marin. Father Marin. Uh, Max uh, von Sydow. Max von Sydow. Yeah, right. Really, what it's about is the demon coming for that guy, and obviously wins in the end. And then Father Karras is a total casualty, as is Reagan. I uh, mean, I don't know, dude. It's so deep, and I love that the the cover art for it is down that staircase, just looking up into that window. It's just that, oh, yeah. I don't know, so much about it. It's it's a slow burn. It's slow paced. It's that great William Friedkin. It's 70s. So there's not a lot of exposition. It's not even a gotcha on like evil. It's just a great story. I never read the book. Van, I think you read the book, right? I read it recently because um, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to rewatch it. Um, I hadn't seen it. I saw it a couple times when I was young and then hadn't seen it in years. Liked it. Uh, respected it. Um, would have probably put it in my, I don't know, top 20, might not have been in my personal top 10. Couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it this time rewatching it. Yeah, I read the book. And, and one of the things you said, you know, I, maybe it's because I've, I've read the book, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Marin. It's sort of an, 
he's the titular exorcist, but you know, I sort of almost see Karis as the as almost becomes the main character yeah. to me. He's the hero. Um, well, he's, he's uh, well. I don't know what happens yeah. in the book, but in the film, no, it's, it's, it's basically the same. It's basically the same. It's it's very very he, similar. He gets the which which is similar to you know. There's a story in the Bible about you know the the this man is possessed and then the, the, the jesus casts the demons that are in this man into, the, into, into a, the pigs into like a you know whatever you call a group of pigs and then they he, they drown themselves right which always made me sad for the pigs but right. then i again i eat bacon so mm. i'm like well at least at least there's more bacon for me but right yeah so that's what father Karras essentially does right he gets yeah. it into himself then he jumps out the window you know in the especially in the theatrical but but it's ambiguous as to does that constitute a, a victory or not? Does it constitute a happy ending right. or not? And it's there's some ambiguity to that, right? And you can revisit it and kind of see that different ways. Father Marin feels like you know the main. Yeah, he rival starts the movie. He starts the movie. That is true. That is true. But it, it kind of shifts. Uh, yeah. It, it, I mean, I would have thought of it that way. This, this particular time, there was just a, a little bit more Karis than I remembered, or, or just the the stuff with his mother oh, yeah. uh, was affecting to me. But it, it, but it's a lot of Karis. But he, and and I think I liked this more in my twenties than I do now. But Karis, like he he was a doubter. Oh like, yeah. The thing about the thing about Father Marin was he was steadfast. Like he wasn't like hung up about being celibate or hung up about his dead mom or hung up about like reg- like Father Karis had all this like regret. Well, he's he's middle aged and he's middle aged and and Marin's been through that. Exactly. I mean, we we presume. I mean, you can there are prequels and stuff if you want, but that, that that doesn't exist, you know, in the world of the of the book and movie. Which again is what kind of makes it awesome. It it, yeah, it like should. lives by its own rules that you have to buy into, and and you're not treated like a, a you know it's not just all laid out. Right. You have yeah. to just sort oh, of yeah. buy in. And and like anything in life, when you buy in, when it costs you something, it has more power over you. Yeah, and that, that's that's part of the power of that movie is how it's not interrogating or or looking down on the priests, but it's also not spending any time in the movie trying to convince you of the reality of God or the spiritual world or what. It's like very practical. Here, these priests are at Georgetown. Yeah. This is what they're doing, what they're about. This is all in motion. This is happening. Here they are. Here are these people. This is how we're dealing with it. You know, the, the movie's not um, trying to convince you of particular things other than showing you what's happening with this girl and everything else is so real. Which is so great. It's so great because it, it, can, it can work for someone like me that I don't believe in the devil or believe in demons. But for me, I can get on the level of the film and be super scared. Like, I would just buy in. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, it's not a debate about theology. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like your point. Like, this is what's happening. This is who's here to solve the problem. What they're doing seems to be affecting what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we'll see who wins the day. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Number one for you, Angela. Number one for me is Scary Movie West 4. Craven. <laughs> No, uh, last house on the left. No, it's, that, it's definitely not last house on the left. It's scream. scream. I knew it. Scream called. Yeah, uh, there it scream is. Scream is my number one favorite. I will watch that movie any. I, I mean, there's been times where I watch it like a couple times a month. Where I'm watching. It's this movie. undeniably great. It really is a modern great. It's amazing. My ki- uh, my oldest loves it. When I showed it to her, she's she's 15. 
when I showed it to her like two years ago, she like, I want to watch. She's like, I want to watch part two. Oh, and I want to watch. I mean, she just like, she went down and, and we went and saw um, the new one together. I got her in to rated our movie, which was fun. <laughs> Scream yeah, takes Manhattan. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, it's uh, Scream versus Freddy versus Jason. Never seen the, I've never seen the original, but I love Drew Barrymore, so I'm sure yeah, I'd like yeah, it. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought you were being uh, serious for a second. I was like, you've never seen the original Scream? Scream being what reinvigorated the genre. For sure. And very referential. What's your favorite horror movie? And then I think Wes is playing. He's playing with it and he's doing it well. Like it did well for that, for this very um, genre movie. It walks up, Scream could run. <laughs> yeah. And then he does Scream with all these big names, big budget. It looks good. The music's good. The acting's good. And it gives you what I, I think I even asked this in our chat one time before. Had there ever been. What's your favorite scary movie? No, no, no. Had there ever been two killers like this? Because if you're trying to figure it out, you're thinking there's one. Yeah. But then you're like, how? This doesn't make any sense. And they keep throwing you off. It's like, because if it's this one, he's here. If it's this one here. And then it comes out. Oh, no, it's not just one. You got the two, right? You have the big reveal um, at the end. Is this the one case where you wouldn't mind if someone wrote into the show? Be like, actually, there's this movie. Like, cool. Yeah. Let me know. I'll check it out. <laughs> the only thing I come up with is Brian De Palma. There's a movie about these. Uh, I, can, I think they were conjoined twins, but they got separated yeah. called Sisters. Mm-hmm. And they're both. They're both killing people. Okay. That's all I can think okay. of, though. And it was a kind of a surprise yeah. at the end. Oh, there's a there's an additional, you know, and it's just it's so self self referential, so parody. I mean, it's yeah. a parody of 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 it all, but still pretty scary. So scary. Oh yeah, yeah the scene with um, yeah. who's the guy, who's the Ali G guy? Where he's like, oh, this is the, where they're watching the party. He's like, oh, this is the scene where oh, Jamie Kennedy, yeah, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, oh, this yeah. is the scene where the guy gets killed and everyone leaves. And you see yeah. Ghost's face behind him. Well, and, and they have the Halloween. Like, they have the Halloween turn. music playing right. right while he's coming up behind them, yeah. and it's and he's saying, saying, he's saying turn, around, turn Jamie. around, turn around, turn yeah. around, Jamie, and he's Jamie, and and it's like it, I mean, it just it. There's so right because he's talking to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's so uh, funny. Him, so Wes and Kevin Williamson teamed up for this, and it's just it's a classic to me. It's my favorite horror movie ever. Um, I will watch it all the time. Uh, I'll go to bat for it all the time. And I love, I mean, just the ending mayhem and, you know, Skeet Ulrich and um, what's his, what's his name? Matthew Lillard. Uh, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. I mean, just them at the end. Did you guys ever see Serial Mom? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I always love that Matthew Lillard film, Serial Mom. Serial Mom. Man, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. Damn. You got to check that out, Zach, if you've never seen it. So, okay, and I mean this in a, an endearing way, in a loving way. Angelo definitely has the most wholesome list. Now, Sleepaway Camp, all right, number five. Number four, yeah. Conjuring, Family, Horror. Number three, Trick or Treat. Number two, Dream Warriors. Number one, Scream. Yeah. All all right. Almost all slashers. I love if, it. Except if, for The Conjuring. If you could go back in time to like the late 90s, early 2000s, and tell yourself, who probably like loved Scream and had seen it numerous times already, like, hey... Skeet Ulrich is going to come back as a force ghost. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
just wait. <laughs> just wait. Um, yeah. So good. that's my list. Um, Great list. It's full of slashers, and that kind of reveals that's that's my that's my favorite subgenre of horror is a slasher. <laughs> All right, Zach, number one for you. Okay. Uh, my number one, I think if anybody knows me well, is not a surprise at all. My number one is John Carpenter's immortal classic, Halloween. I love this movie. It's not only is it one of my favorites, not only is it my favorite horror movie, but it is one of my favorite movies. Like I mentioned before, my mom showed me this at a young age. And so I will fully concede. And I think we all have a case of this. If my mom that night had showed me Nightmare on Elm Street, I would probably be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. Like it's just, it's, it, you know, it's a tie to my mom. I saw it at a young age, but I absolutely love that movie. And to me, like Michael Myers is such a great avatar because it's he i mean he really is the antithesis of of freddy krueger uh and i love both uh but to me just michael myers is is more frightening especially in the original like in the original like i always whenever i watch the original i'm always shocked about how human he is definitely gets more terminator like in the sequels but in the original he's like he's like 510 170 pounds he's moves like a human being like he's he's just meant to be a human being he shops at heb exactly he looks for he, he looks for a good deal Go to Whataburger. uh and no but like <laughs> but just that that mask and those overalls it's just such a blank slate you know i think i know we've probably talked before about like why people love horror and i think it's just total fear projection like we all walk around with so much fear of things that we can't even like articulate and like that mask is such a blank slate that you can you can attach whatever it is that you're afraid of your thoughts whatever onto that mask and i think that's why it's so effective Mm, that's good that's cool and then that and then we were talking about too even with carpenter before about that thing with this the things ending like he was like that was you know that was just a mistake we made in production it's funny is so many people have gotten like the whole you know pure virgin trope from that from halloween and he's kind of said too like that had nothing to do with it she was just paying attention like she it's not because she was a virgin it was because her friends were busy you know having fun and she was the one that was alert it's like oh it's that's all there is to it. And also, like an, I think all the major the major franchises, right? Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween. I guess you could put Hellraiser as a fourth one. They never got better than that first one. That, yeah, some of them got not. close, you know? Like, you guys would know more about me than the Halloweens. But Friday the 13th, I don't know if they got close. Nightmare, they got close with three and seven. Friday's different. Well, Friday is interesting because I don't even think the first yeah, one's the best I one. Agree with yeah. That. What's the best Friday the 13th? Oh, I'd, I'd probably say three or four, in my opinion. Fine, fine, fine. Mm. Oh, yeah, you're it's right. three it's or six. four. No, no, no. I, us, yeah, I, six, six, I can see an really argument three for that. Four. I, I like the evens, but... Uh, uh, Honestly, I think the only time Halloween ever came close to beating the... Not beating the original, but, but being in that same caliber is when they did away with Michael Myers and they tried to do something different. On three? Yeah. Yeah. Season three, of the Witch? Three. 
Yeah, three. If three had gotten its day and had been a success, it'd have been really interesting what the series would have become. Right, because that was the goal. It was just gonna be an anthology series. Right, try to pivot away because otherwise you gotta yeah. you gotta keep finding ways to bring this guy back. Like, oh yeah, I'm not as familiar with Halloween as you guys are, but the Friday Thirteenth stuff is like, yeah, they, they, another guy became Jason, and then he's at the bottom of the ocean, and like a uh, he gets those are the best background and, watches. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, no, they totally I, I are. I mean, I. I think it was the last week I watched like part six, part seven, part eight, part nine, like just on the background. And I'm like looking, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's still happening. It's still going on. You know? <laughs> Turn back to my computer. Yeah. And that's right. And uh, Oh, this is over. All right. Might as well go to the next one, you know? And it's uh, those were ones that I watched a lot as a kid, like on USA, like mm-hmm. the Friday the 13th, they'd always be on. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have a lot of fond memories of watching those, but I mean, you can't mess with, the original halloween man i mean that's the that's the one that kind of kick-started them all and they're just tried and true they scratch the itch they're good especially the first ones you know you got wes craven you got john carpenter masters of the genres they they're perennial they come on every year they spawn a million sequels where you just you recognize that everyone's scared everyone's running yeah you put them on and you just you it, you you feel familiar it's halloween great. is a very familiar like it's almost like comforting to watch yeah exactly michael myers is like your buddy your evil marauding murdering (laughs) relentless monstrous buddy all right flaws no one's perfect so i think you guys probably could have guessed that my number one would be the exorcist i kind of guessed that angela's would scream zach definitely halloween makes sense now van you got cat people pieces pulse and reanimator i Who's all uh, right? Let's I all can't. take guesses of what Van's number one is. Just shot in the dark. Wait, wait. Is it is it a classic or is it? One yeah, that give, we us would never guess? give us well, a clue. Give us. I talked about my gateway into horror was through like monsters and creatures, right? So it's a it's a monster movie. I, I was about to joke and be like, okay, in the early sixties in Brazil, there was the you know, um, <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's a monster movie and it's the something aliens? you guys know. What decade? Eighties again. Oh, oh, a monster movie uh, from the eighties. Oh, is it the fly? Uh, it's the Ooh, fly. the fly. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm I was, I was, I was kind of wondering if anyone was going to put it on their list. You know, so yeah. I'm, I'm clapping 30% because Zach got it right, because I'm impressed. But 70% just for the choice. Amazing yeah. choice. I was watching the new Exorcist series, and I'm going to let you talk about your number one, man. I'm not trying to hog the floor here. But it's atrocious. It's complete shit but enjoyable, like most things in the horror genre. But the thing that kept me in was because Gina Davis is like this babe to me forever. And when I, I mean babe, capital B, like not in a shitty way, right? I just, I think she's a beautiful woman, you know? I've just loved seeing her on screen. Loved Beetlejuice as a kid. All that love, the League of Their Own, you know? So she's forever oh, like, yeah. you know, my hero in a League of Their Own. Dottie, the big sister. But man, is she great in The Fly. She's such a great counter to everything that's happening to Brundle mm-hmm. in the fly. You got Cronenberg and in another movie, you're talking about the fifties, the thing from another world, the fifties flies worth checking out. It's horrifying in the way that it tells from the crypt comic book was in the, in those, you know, EC comic days, but man, the seventies Cronenberg body horror master fly remake is fucking terrifying and it was yeah it was one of my one of my first uh 
horror watches. Um, and like I said, being a, a kid who was a little nervous about watching a slasher or something, even though as I covered, I've read and, and am familiar with intense material, but being sort of like serious minded. And it's a very, it's a very serious movie. I like that you led with Gina Davis because, you know, Cronenberg, I'm a, a devotee. I love so many of his movies. Reason and he was one of my gateway people because he was so nerdy and, and cerebral and and I may not be cerebral but I aspire to be right and and I'm interested you know in a lot of the stuff he's interested in but when people talk about a lot of Cronenberg movies right you're talking about um, you're talking about Videodrome you're talking about Dead Ringers you're talking about Scanners Dead Zone um, moving into the 90s there's um, there's crash and existence yeah. but when people talk about his movies they're a lot of times talking about these ideas right and his themes and and his um, the cerebral aspect of what he's got going on and in the fly you've got Goldblum and Davis in the middle of it just so incredibly human and this movie does have you know big ideas and themes as well but you've got something so absurdly grotesque you know it's it's what is it? it's 86 so it's decades behind us now and it's like oh yeah it's a little bit ooky but like compared to i mean that was a mainstream hit you know and it was a it's a drama it's a downer it's unbelievably sad it's adult you know it's it's appealing to kids because there's like monsters and there's sex but it's not titillating sex it's a real relationship happening here you know it's very passionate and funny and human and it's you know the most relatably comfortably human any of the cronenberg characters have been all cronenberg movies have sex but it's never sexy right. it's, it's always like totally. horrible yeah. video drone she's like putting a vhs in his stomach yeah. uh, I, that was that was on my that was on one of my lists i thought about it v video drone's very important but but Same. yeah the fly it's it's um at once very grotesque but very relatable i mean people like it i've i've seen that i remember being younger and seeing that movie on shelves of people who are not interested in, in horror movies or genre movies is just like, Oh, it's the monster movie with, 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 uh, Goldblum and, and Gina Davis. And, you know, I remember like seeing my father-in-law had a taped copy of it and he's not the sort of person who would be interested, but it, it engaged a lot of different people. It's, um, it's a really enjoyable movie where really disgusting things happen. It gets adult in another way too, in that, um, people talk about the disease metaphor and that's been talked to death. You're, you're watching someone with a disease and you can fill in the blank of what that is. Cronenberg has said cancer. But in addition to that, you're seeing a person turn controlling, right? And the threat of abuse is there. I'll hurt you if you stay. When you've watched this really genuine romance and he says, I'll hurt you if you stay and that Howard Shore music sweeps in wall. And it's the good times are over and they are not coming back. Yeah. He's and, like, listen, I'll hurt you if you stay and I'm turning into a fly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just frankly untenable for <laughs> our future because I'm turning into a man fly. And, and like a lot of genre movies, you know, as a young person, a deal breaker for a lot of people, as a lot of genre movies for, for a young person, you come for a certain type of thrills where we talked about, you know, action and, and, and violence and, and sex or, or just seeing creatures and, and then you're hit with all kinds of other things you know 
and um and it's it's the the perfect marriage of the of the human and the horrifying right and uh and neither one of those Absolutely. things neither one of those things is lessened both of them are at their peak intensity because of the simplicity but the but the the power of the story of that movie and I, the first time i saw it it was edited for tv i'm almost positive it didn't lessen the power of it at all and I, I think that's the treats like through throughout the the history of the genre you get these swaths where someone like Cronenberg will do material like that or like Brian De Palma will do Carrie mm-hmm. William Friedkin will do The Exorcist Wes Craven Nightmare Kubrick doing the sh- you get these like moments where uh, Jonathan Demme doing Signs of the Lambs you get these great moments where like real directors like and I'm not slagging the Stu- the uh, Stuart Gordons or the whomevers. Mm-hmm. But you get these like real auteurs that are doing this like great material, like horror material, you know, David Lynch doing Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it's such a treat that like The Fly is a master, master tor- storyteller remaking something and making it like putting all that, that nuance on it that only that Cronenberg could do in a way that like Kubrick. It's just such a bizarre thing to me that Stephen King always shit on the Kubrick shining. I'm like, dude. You know, lucky you are to have Steve, Stanley Kubrick doing The Shining. Are you crazy? You prefer the TV version that sucks? Because he's Jack Torrance. Man. Yeah. Any right? Yeah. He always always writing about writers, and they're always him. They're always alcoholics, and they're always crazy, and they're always him. Oh yeah, I get it from his, but not, not to detract from because I want to say fly, but. If you if you write a story about you and your struggles, and then someone takes it and makes it to where you're just a monster, you know that would be hard for anybody, I think, and it would make you unable to objectively see what is a masterpiece of a film. But uh, but no, to go back to the fly, I, you know, like I, the whole disease thing is kind of done to death. But the first time I saw it, and then I kind of had read stuff about it about how Cronenberg said it was important that he you know realizes what's happening for the first time in a bathroom because most people that have a disease or something like that first realize it mm-hmm. in a bathroom you know that's kind of where you you see your body and stuff like that and that to me was like really mm-hmm. terrifying to think about also turning into a fly horrible <laughs> do not it recommend so we we have no overlap there's no oh. overlap on these lists which i no. kind of find amazing yeah. which i think just shows the diversity of yeah, yeah, genuinely, genuinely uh, unplanned. It's incredible. Master! Master! Everyone, I'm sure you've been following along at home, shouting uh, in your car. Write in, let me know what your top five horror movies are, and uh, I'll read them on the air. I appreciate all you dudes. Yeah. I was thinking a fun way to end the episode would be for us all to sign off with maniacal laughter that I'll, of course, add reverb to. But is everyone is everyone in a position where they can do some maniacal laughter? Yeah. As a uh, family, because fam- it's it's twelve eighteen. I I am not currently, but <laughs> I will I will do it quietly. Do it quietly. You can add. Can we do some? Go- you can add it. I'll 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 punch, we'll punch yours up, up, Angela. Punch it up for me. But let's just do. Let's just in. jump into a little bit of maniacal laughter, just to usher in the spooky season, and then we'll sign off. All right. All right. Good. I'll leave this off. Okay. Happy 
say what would you say, then I would say delete that. <laughs>